All right, good morning, everybody. Great to see you today. Hey, why don't you get your Bible and open up with me to Hebrews chapter 10. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be landing today. Today, I want to talk to you about breaking a bad habit, all right? Breaking a bad habit. Do you have any bad habits? Now, don't shout them out, okay? Don't, don't shout them out. But you have any bad habits? You know, I have a lot of bad habits, actually. Uh, I'm not going to tell you all of them, but I will tell you one just out of personal disclosure, vulnerability, and authenticity as your preacher. All right, here's the deal. One of my bad habits is I am a nail biter. I confess it, I'm a nail biter. Any nail biters in the house with me made me feel a little bit bad. Oh, they're my tribe. There they are. Go ahead and confess it. It's okay. Uh, I mean, if I am watching an, a movie and it's like intense, I'll just, somebody go, Craig, and I'm like, I've got my fingers in my mouth. I don't know why I do that. I hate it. It's gross. But I have done that forever. If I'm like thinking deeply about something, I don't know, I don't know why I do it, but it's weird and gross. But it is definitely a bad habit. Your bad, your bad habits may be completely different. Maybe it's leaving your socks on the floor. Maybe it's, it's uh, eating too much, staying out too late. Uh, loving junk food, whatever the thing is that you do, we all have bad habits. And I was reading this week an article by a guy named uh, James Clear. James wrote a book called Atomic Habits. Sold over 3 million copies worldwide. And it's really about how do you break bad habits and how do you grow good, positive, healthy habits. But in this particular article, he said this, quote, most of the time, Bad habits are simply a way of dealing with stress and boredom. Now, I thought about that. You know, you get stressed, so you overeat, or you, you drink too much, or you smoke too much. Uh, you're bored, and so you shop online, or you binge on Netflix, or you don't break off that bad relationship that you once had. Stress and boredom. Let me ask you something. Has your life over the last nine months had any stress or boredom as a part of it? Yes. We've all been living in a season of stress and boredom. And probably you developed some bad habits along the way. I was talking with somebody the other day, and they said, yeah, I got, I got 20 pounds of bad habit, you know, through COVID that, I've, that I've had, I'm now having to deal with. And so we all have these bad habits, but what do we do to try to break them? A lot of New Year's resolutions are about trying to break some bad habits, trying to pick up uh, some good habits. And of course, there are some bad habits that affect you physically, but I, what I want to do today is I want to talk about a bad habit that affects you spiritually. In fact, if you don't understand that this is a bad habit, if you don't correct this bad habit, it will keep you from really walking with God in the way that God designed you to walk with him, all right? And we find that in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we're going to pick up reading in verse 19, all right? So this is the word of God. Amen. There are a few of you that remembered. I'm going to say that, and you're going to say amen in a rousing affirmation, all right? Ready? This is the word of God. Amen. Awesome. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary through the blood of Jesus... He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through that curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope 
without wavering, since he who promised is faithful. And let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Now, did you pick up on the bad habit that's in there? Did you see it? All right, it's right there, verse 25. Not neglecting gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. Apparently, there were some believers to which this book is written, this letter is written, that were getting in a bad habit of not gathering together, not gathering with other believers. Listen, the habit of not gathering together is really a dangerous habit, right? It's a bad habit. In fact, let me just put to you this way. If you're looking for a big idea of this talk, here it is. A gathering together with believers is essential to your spiritual health. Gathering together with other believers is essential to your spiritual health. Now, we're in this series called Essentials, right? And I've already talked about the essential of prayer. I've talked about the essential of God's Word. But now, I'm going to talk to you about the essential of community, the essential of fellowship, the essential of being with other believers. That that is a essential, it's a non-negotiable. And by the way, this is really current, very relevant for us right here and right now. During the COVID crisis, I like to call it, of course, churches were shut down all across the country, right, for several months. And there were particularly governors and county officials in California and New York that were very oppressive in shutting down churches and so on. There was a lot of debate as to whether churches were essential or not, whether they should be open or not. In fact, there were those in the Jewish community in New York City that sued for the right to gather to worship. That all went all the way up to Supreme Court, which the Supreme Court upheld that case, that you do have a right to gather. It is essential. There are churches in California that are still fighting legal battles, even still today. But what I thought was ironic is while government officials were debating over the whether church attendance is essential or not, there were a lot of Christians that decided it wasn't. And they just stopped going. Just stopped. And what I really believe is what's happened over this last nine months is really actually a good thing for us because what it's happened is it's created this environment where I have to decide, is this really essential or not? Is it essential or is it optional? Is it essential or is it, you know, does it really matter? Do I have a conviction here? Does God really speak to this or does he not speak to this? And I found that there are some people out of conviction have pressed into community in this time when we desperately need it. And others have pulled away from community and seen it as not essential. So why is that? Why do some Christians do not believe that it's important to gather together? Now let me just say from the outset that there are some legitimate reasons why you don't gather with other believers. There are legitimate reasons why you should not. For example, if you are sick, right, or if you have, are at high risk uh, for COVID or you're, you're dealing with a lot of physical problems that it would not be wise for you to be around other people, of course, you should be at home. That's why we offer online, right? If you, are, if you have physical abilities that you cannot allow you to gather with other people, and there are some brothers and sisters that really struggle with that, then that is certainly a legitimate reason. There are some emotional reasons that folks cannot do that right now, and I get that. There, there are certainly legitimate reasons to not gather, but there's also a whole other category of folks 
that just decided it's not important. It's optional. And so the real question is, is it essential or not? Is it essential for you or not? Is it essential for our church or not? So that's what we're talking about here. And, and by the way, this is not just a debate among government officials. This is even a debate among pastors. There was a megachurch pastor that was speaking at Liberty University uh, a couple of weeks ago. And he was making the statement, he didn't think it was essential for churches to gather. And he said this, and I'm quoting here. He said, quote, I hear people say, the Lord commands us to meet. The Lord commands us to meet. He does not, end quote. And, and that, of course, was extremely controversial, especially among pastors and leaders. So it really begs the question, does God's word say anything about whether we should meet or not? And actually it does. Just a couple of uh, points of reference for you. The word church in the New Testament is a Greek word, ekklesia. That's the word. It literally means the gathering. It means the assembly. It means those called out to gather together. So the very definition of church means and implies a gathering. It's not the building, it's the people, right? You can have a church without a building, but the people gathered is the body of Christ, the church, right? Uh, when you look at when the church first began in Acts chapter 2, what do we see the church doing immediately? They're gathering in house to house. They're gathering at the temple. They basically commandeered the temple and they met there. And they just didn't do it on the weekends. They did it every single day. And then there are multiple passages in the scripture that talk about how we should gather and what we do when we gather and how we sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, how we take communion. All these things are, are implying that the church gathers together. And probably one of the great passages to explain this and the importance of it is in Hebrews chapter 10. That's what we're on today where it warns us not to get in a bad habit of failing to gather together. It's a warning for us. And really, he goes on to explain why this is so important. Listen, gathering together with other believers is essential to your spiritual health. And when you pull away from community, you're not moving forward in your walk with God. It's hindering your walk with God. And so Hebrews 10 tells us why. So I, what I want to do today is uh, I, I, my goal, my aim is not to play guilt trips or shaming. My, my goal here is to remind you why this is important and then to challenge you to do it, right? Because I love you. All right, so let's, let's look at a couple of reasons why this is important. What happens when we gather? First thing, jot this, right, jot this thought down. When we gather uh, to draw close to God. We gather to draw close to God. Look at what it says in verse 22. He said, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, our bodies washed with pure water. All right, stop right there for just a minute. Circle the words, draw near. This is clearly temple language. And he's talking about what happened when Israel would worship. When Israel worshiped God, they all gathered. The whole nation would gather together at the temple 
in Jerusalem for worship. Worship didn't happen in the synagogues. Instruction happened there, but not worship. Worship required a sacrifice. And so the whole nation, multiple times a year, through various festivals and ceremonies, would gather together to worship God at the temple. Now, if you were a Gentile and you said, I want to worship God at the temple, that was great, but you could not come close. You could not draw near. You had to stay at the furthest ring, which was called the court of Gentiles. That's as far as you could go. If you were a Jewish woman, you could go to the court of women, which was just a tick inside of the court of Gentiles, but that was as far as you could go. If you were a Jewish man, you could go to the next inner court, but that was as far as you could go. If you were a priest, then you could go into the next intersection, and that was where you were actually offering sacrifices because that was your job. But that's as far as you could go. But nobody could go into the Holy of Holies, this small room where they believe the presence of God dwelt behind this very thick, heavy curtain. They believed that was where the presence of God was. Only one person could do that, and that was a high priest. And then only once a year. And so he would, he would bathe himself. He would make sure he was clean outwardly. He would offer sacrifice and sprinkle the blood of that offering. Uh, and so he was clean internally. This is a reference to what we just read when it talks about wash with clear water, sprinkled with the blood of, dry, of Christ. That's all reference to this, all right? But this high priest would go into the Holy of Holies, into the very presence of God. Only him, only once a year. Everyone else was removed. Everyone else was pushed away. God was distant. God was inaccessible. God was removed. And Jesus changed all that. Now, by the way, that's really good news for us, right? That Jesus changed all that. This is, this is what Jesus did that was completely radically different, that Jesus opened up for us a way to come straight in to the presence of God. What a privilege. Well, how did he do that? Well, look at verse 19. He tells us exactly how he did it. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have boldness to enter the sanctuary, there it is, we're entering the sanctuary, we're entering the holy place. We have boldness to enter the sanctuary, how? Through the blood of Jesus. He has inaugurated for us a new and living way through the curtain, that is through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near. What he's saying is this, when Jesus died on the cross through his blood, he paid for our sin so that we could now have access to God. No longer do we have to see him at a distance, but we can come right into his presence. It's almost as if he said, when the, when the body of Jesus was torn on the cross, that the curtain that separated God from us was torn. That's exactly what happened. And Matthew tells us that when Jesus died, when he finally died, there was an earthquake. And that curtain in the Holy of Holies that separated God from the people was torn from top to bottom. It was almost as if God was saying, I'm now making a way for you. You now have access to me. I'm making a new and living way. Access to my presence. That is an amazing thing. Now, understand, we're talking about why we gather together. What I want to point out to you is while that is theologically amazing, somebody say amen, he's talking in the plural, right? He's talking in the plural. He said, let us draw near. And what that means is that this access to God is not only something that happens to me privately, and it is something that happens to me privately. I can sit on my couch in the morning. I can open up God's word. I can slip down on my knees and I can come right into the presence of my father and I can share with him my heart and I can hear his heart. What a beautiful, wonderful privilege. 
But it also means that as we gather together, that we can draw near. That there's something significant and powerful and meaningful about what we do when we as a church collectively gather together in his presence. So how does that happen? How do we gather, how do we gather in his presence? Well, I think there are different ways. We gather together when we worship, right? When we, when we worship God and we lift our voices together. And we declare who God is, that he is holy and righteous and good. And we sing about the love and the grace of Jesus. As we do that, we're lifting up, we're drawing near to God in worship. That's what heaven's going to be like, right? With every nation, tribe, tongue, we're not going to be in heaven just doing this in isolation. We're going to be doing it in community. And so worship is a way we do that. When we take the Lord's Supper together. And hopefully very soon we're going to be taking the Lord's Supper together. We're already making preparations for that. That as we do that, we're sharing that cup and bread and we are testifying together of what Jesus has done in our lives. When we pray together, we're drawing near. Very often after a service is over, I'll look out in, uh, in this room and there'll be people clustered up. Even this morning, I saw it. People clustered up just praying for each other. Just loving on each other. What are you doing? You're drawing near to God. Listen, you need that. You need to be with other believers that you can draw near to God's presence together. And that is something that's vital. It's essential to your walk with God. So we gather, we draw near to God. Another thing that happens when we gather is that we renew our hope. Look at verse 23. Just, just reading right out of the passage here. Let us hold on to the confession of our hope without wavering since he who promised is faithful. Circle the word hold on there. Hold on. Some of your versions may say, uh, hold fast. Hold up your hand if your version says, hold fast. Okay, yeah. Hold fast. It, it, this idea of endurance, right? Holding on, holding fast, not letting go, not quitting. Keep moving forward. That's the idea here. He said, we don't need to waver. We don't need to quit. This letter was written to a lot of believers that were coming out of Judaism and they had chosen to follow Jesus as the Messiah. But yeah, now they were getting a lot of pressure from family to go back, to stop following Jesus, go back into the way that they used to live. And they were wavering. Listen, some of you are wavering, quite honestly. Some of you, maybe you're a brand new Christian and you're, you're trying to follow Jesus, but you don't have a lot of new friends and you got a bunch of old friends and your old friends want you to go where, with them and do the things you used to do and so you're wavering and it's so easy to just fall back into the way you used to live and that's who he's talking to and he said, listen, you need to hold fast. Hold on, don't quit. Hold on to what? Well, look at what he says. Hold on to the confession of our hope. Listen, there are a lot of people they are losing hope. There are a lot of people, they're losing hope right now. I talk to people every week. They're losing hope. Losing hope in their marriage. They're losing hope that they'll never get well. They're losing hope that they're struggling financially. They're losing hope because they don't think their kids are ever going to come back to them or come back to the Lord. A lot of, a lot of people are losing hope. And listen, like, like coals that were once blazing hot that have now grown cold because they've been scattered. Your hope in Jesus, your confidence in Jesus that used to be blazing hot can grow cold if you isolate yourself from other believers. 
If you are separated from other believers, your hope can die. Your hope can fade. I've seen it over and over and over again. Listen, is your hope fading right now? Are you losing hope? I love what Hebrews 6, 19 says. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It's like hope is an anchor, the hope of the gospel, the hope of God's promises, the hope that the Bible is true, the hope that God will never leave us or forsake us. That hope is like an anchor so that when, when the world gets crazy, we're, we're tethered to this steadfast hope. You see, I really believe that discouragement is one of Satan's greatest weapons against believers. And if Satan could get you isolated, right? If you're just kind of on your own and you're not with other believers, then all of a sudden you're just left with your own thoughts and your own worries and your own fears and your own anxieties and they just grow and grow and grow and pretty soon it chokes out the hope of the gospel that we have. The hope of God's word. And that's why you need somebody, as Hebrews says, you need somebody with you that will remind you that he who promised is faithful. Hey, God's word is faithful. God's word is true. You can stand on it. Look at what God did for me. I know he's going to do that for you. We're with you. We're going to walk this through with you. That's what we need. And as we gather together, we renew our hope and we renew our confidence in God. Here's another thing. When we gather, not only do we draw near and not only do we renew our hope, but when we gather together, we serve each other. Look at verse 24. He says, and let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works. Now, it's really interesting. Some versions say, let us consider how to spur one another to love and good works. If your Bible has a word, consider, raise your hand. Okay? Yeah, consider. What's interesting is the word consider literally means to look at. In Hebrews, when it says, consider the attitude of the Lord Jesus, consider the Lord Jesus, what it means is look at the Lord Jesus. Look intently at his example. So if you drop that in here, when it says consider one another, it means to look at one another. So the CSB, I think, really does a good job of translating this. It says, let us watch out for one another to provoke them to love and good works or good deeds. What, it, what he's saying is this. It is so easy, folks, to get inward focused. To just think about me and my needs and my wants and my desires and my hurts and my worries and my fears and all the stuff I'm going through. And I, everything just turns inward. And of course, when you're isolated, when you're alone, that's all you have to think about is you and what you're going through. But one of the reasons why we gather together is because when we gather together, you got to look at somebody else, right? And guess what? They got needs too. And they've got worries too. And they got their own battles too. And they got their their own problems too. And so what we have to do is when we gather, we have to like turn outward. And we have to consider them. We have to look out for one another. And we have to consider how we can stimulate them to love better, to love well, and to serve God well. It's an amazing thing. This is actually so good for us to be together because now we're focused on each other, on someone else, and not just on ourselves. And I've seen this happen every single week. Every single week, I watch this happen. 
I am usually here before just about anybody. I'm, I'm one of the first ones on campus. And I meet with a group of guys and we pray together before any of this ever gets started. And I watch people come on campus. And what happens is m- hundreds of people come on campus with their sleeves rolled up to go to work, right? They're, they're working in the parking lot. They're running the golf carts. They are manning the stations to greet people. They're making the coffee for you. They're getting the curriculum ready for the kids or they're walking over in the student area and they're getting everything ready for that group time. They're preparing their lesson. They're getting everything ready for you so that when you come and, and everything is prepared for you. That just, there are no elves that live at the church, right? It, there, you know, there are no little angels that do that, right? It's just people actually come and they do that kind of stuff. And it's an amazing thing. And why do they do that? Because they are focused on someone other than themselves. It's a beautiful thing. I saw this happen during the pandemic when we could not gather together in this room and worship together. And yet I saw you go out and I saw hundreds of you at Baylor Hospital worshiping in the parking lot, praying over doctors and nurses and physicians and administration, praying over sick people, praying that God would bring healing to them. That was a beautiful thing, thinking of someone else. I saw you feeding the homeless, caring for first responders. I saw you praying for teachers. And there's something beautiful and there's something magnetic about a group of people that's not just about them, but about spurring one another on to do something motivated by love, to do something good for their community and for each other. And when we gather together, what this author of Hebrews was saying is, listen, we need that. Let me ask you something. Who are you serving? Who are you investing in? When you come here, who are you thinking about? Oh, I wonder how so-and-so is doing in their work situation. I wonder how their kids are doing. I wonder how, how she's handling this situation. Who are you coming here to serve? If you're only coming here to receive, you're missing half the reason why you should come in the first place. We're here to serve one another. We're here to contribute, not to just receive or consume. And so here, he's just reminding us of why this is so important. He said, our gathering is essential to your spiritual health. Why? Because when we gather together, we draw near into God's presence in a special way that we don't on our own. When we gather together, we remind ourselves that God is faithful and we renew our hope and we endure, especially in really difficult times. When we gather together, we focus on each other and we encourage each other. And all the more as we see the coming of Christ approaching. You know, Jesus' coming is sooner today than it was yesterday. It's sooner this week than it was last week. He's coming. And when you are, when you watch believers in in areas where persecution happens, they thrive on gathering together. They will put their own life at risk to gather in underground churches. Why is it so important? Why put yourself at risk? Because they know that when they get together, they they can encourage each other. They can worship together. They can care for each other because they're family. So are you a part of this family? Is this essential to you? If you've fallen into a bad habit, then I want to help you have a couple of ways to get out of it. So for about the next minute and a half, let me just 
talk to you through a couple of things that you can do to get out of a bad habit and really to make it a habit that this church family is important and essential to you. Here's the first thing. You look back to James Clear in his article about breaking a bad habit. He gave us some ideas that I think are helpful. First thing is this. Ask yourself the question, what kind of person do I want to be? What kind of person do I want to be? Do I want to be a person that, that walks with God? A person that invest in others, that serves others? Do I want to be a person that, um, that is leading my family to love the Lord and love God's family? If the answer to that is yes, then you need to bump uh, gathering with believers to a top priority. That needs to be, no, you can't say I want that, but yet you never show up, right? If you want that, then you need to be there, right? And so, what kind of person do you want to be? Second thing you can do, and this is really super practical, is just make Sunday special. Plan for it in advance. Uh, I love Sunday mornings. I mean, I love Sundays, period. Not just Sunday mornings. I love the whole day. It's my favorite day of the week, and it's not just because I'm a preacher, all right? Yeah, you're supposed to. And it's not because I was born on Sunday morning, even though I really was. Little tidbit fact. You know, born to be a preacher, right? Born on Sunday morning, 8 a.m. Just in time for the first service. But I love it because I gather with a group of guys before everything gets started and I pray and then we have time to study God's word and we worship together and I get to see people that I love. And then afterwards, it's, lunch is usually all about family and so we gather family around and we, we share about the week and what's happened during the week and how we can encourage each other. Then throughout the afternoon, hopefully there's a little nap in there. I know that's God's will for every person to have a Sunday nap. And then after that, then it's gathering with other friends and we're eating together. The whole day is about faith in Jesus. It's about family and it's about friends. That's what the whole day is about. It's a day when I reorient what's most important in my life. When I rest and I take a breath and I look forward to the week ahead. Now, listen, why... Why can't you do that? Why can't you make Sundays a special day? You're planning them in advance to say, this is a day when we really focus on what matters most. And then the last thing he says about how to correct a bad habit, he said, I love this, surround yourself with people who live the way you want to live. <laughs> I love that. Just surround yourself with people who live the way you want to live. We do this in our business. We hang out with people that are successful so we can learn how to do it. We do this in our physical health. We hang out with people at the gym so we want to be healthy like them. Same thing is true in our spiritual life. When you get into a connect group, when you hang around with people, when you build relationships with people that are like-minded, then they help you to live the way you want to live. And that's why we encourage you so much to get into a connect group and to, and to do life with others. Church is not a place where you come just to receive. It's a place where you come to do life, where you contribute, where you're a part of the family. And folks, this is why Jesus died. He died just not so that you would believe the truth, but he died so that you would belong to a family. It's essential. It's critical. And to the degree that you press into community, to that degree you will begin to grow in your faith. So is this essential for you? I want you to bow your head with me for just a minute. And I just want you to take a moment 
to pray. Maybe you're here, maybe you're watching online. I want you to really pray and say, God, first off, just thank him that you have a church that loves you and that wants to do community with you. Just thank him for that. Ask him to help you make it a priority to gather with other believers. And even ask him to put somebody on your heart that you can reach out to, that you can invest in. Father, we thank you for this church. We thank you for our church family. We thank you that even now we can draw together into your presence, that we can be encouraged and built up and we can serve others. Lord, I pray that we would be more committed to this than ever before as we see your coming on the horizon. Lord, we want to be men of faith, women of faith, people committed to each other and committed to the gospel, committed to your mission until you return. So Lord, help us just put our yes on the table before you to say, God, whatever you want in our lives, that's what we want. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.